Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. If Planty Perone picks a peck of pretty pepperomias, how many pretty pepperomias will Planty Perone pick? before her brain explodes from heat exhaustion. Yes, it's steaming hot here in On The Ledge headquarters. I'm sitting in the office with the blinds down, the fan off, and my feet in a basin of cold water. So in this week's episode, I will be providing some tips for helping your houseplants through a heat wave. And I'll also be getting Hoyer expert Doug Chamberlain of Vermont Hoyers back to answer a listener question about a plant identification issue and also chat about some of the rarer Hoyers that he is finding are attracting high sales prices at the minute. Yes, my prediction that Hoyas are the next big thing does seem to be coming true. More on that shortly, but first, some housekeeping. Let me get my virtual dustpan and brush out. Thanks to all of you who've got in touch about the Tyler Thrasher episode last week. It seems that you really enjoyed hearing our chat. Tina, for example, emailed to say, I'm so appreciative of the direction of your recent podcast. I love listening to your Tyler Thrasher episode. Thank you for modelling ways to talk and listen about these devastating recent racial issues in the US. Tyler is amazing. Thanks for the introduction to his world. Well, thanks for listening and being a patron, Tina. And Sarah commenting on my YouTube channel, where all the podcasts are available, by the way, in case you didn't realise. Sarah said, way to go, Jane and Tyler. Speak up, speak out, speak clear, speak to all, then repeat. Black Lives Matter. It's a fact. Thank you for that, Sarah. And you are continuing to absolutely smash it with your super reviews for On The Ledge on your various pod apps of choice. Eliza from the UK Uh, entitled her review, Dangerously Addictive, Be Aware. Oh yes, I am the crack cocaine of houseplants here. (laughs) Eliza said, a must for any plant lover. Have only discovered it by chance a couple of weeks ago, but already halfway through. No nonsense, knowledgeable host. Yes, that is me. I do not brook any nonsense. You're absolutely right. Which I blame for a sudden decrease of windowsill space. Well, yes. Aren't you on the money there, Eliza? What I love about her most is that she's very real, honest and relatable. Yes, on the ledge, keeping it real since February 2017. And we also had a review come in from Belgium. And I think this person must have just attacked the keyboard and put some random letters in because it's unpronounceable. But thank you for your review, which starts, listen to this, finger point emoji, finger point emoji, finger point emoji. Listening for two weeks now and already spent so much money. Absolutely in love with this podcast. I'm sorry. Yes, Belgian listener. I'm very sorry that you spent lots of money on houseplants, but 
there are way worse things that you could be spending money on in life. I mean, you could be spending money on cigarettes or alcohol or silly shoes or all kinds of things which will bring you a lot less pleasure than a nice clutch of houseplants. So on you go with your spending, uh, Belgian listener, as I'm going to call you because I can't pronounce it. I'm going to have a go, actually. Here we go. Oh, la, 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 car, <laughs> If that's really your name, I apologise. But I think you've just attacked the keyboard with abandon there. Thanks to my new Patreon subscribers this week. They are Camran, Katrina, Laura and Jacqueline, who all became legends and unlocked extra exclusive content and an annual exclusive card that goes out in snail mail to all patron subscribers of $5 a month or more, plus ad-free versions of the show. Pretty good deal for $5 a month, I think you'll find. So if you're interested in how to sign up for that, just check out the show notes at janeperone.com. If you want to give a one-off donation, you can do that via co-fi or via PayPal. And again, the details are in the show notes. It can be a bit of a shock when you get a sudden burst of sunny days and high temperatures. Here in the UK for the last few days, it's been getting up to 30 degrees centigrade, which is, she says, looking... In fact, I can't tell you what that is in Fahrenheit because it's actually off my chart. I'm thinking it's about 90 degrees Fahrenheit probably, but my chart doesn't go that high. Uh, it does occasionally get this hot in the UK doesn't happen that often, but when it does, we do struggle to cope because we're not really set up for this kind of heat. And this is a time when we need to be paying extra attention to our houseplants, because if you live in a climate where it's regularly getting up into the 30s, then you and your plants are more adapted. But if you're in a climate where it isn't a usual practice, then everyone's undergoing a little bit of shock. So it's worth checking out your plants, checking in with them regularly and making sure that they can make it through this period. Things to look out for. Well, if you've got very hot, sunny days, the plants that are in your sunny windows may be able to cope in spring or in March or in April with the amount of light that's coming in through those windows. But come this period and the power and intensity of the sun and the duration of the sun around uh, the solstice, the longest day of the year, is going to be greater. So it is worth having a look at your plants and just considering whether some of them might need to be moved a meter or two away from the window or the whatever the light source may be, whether that's a skylight, the sun coming through the window is going to be more powerful at this time of year. So think about that and move any plants before they get the chance to be sunburned. They certainly won't be badly affected by having a few days in a little bit more shade than usual and it may just save them from unsightly marks which could be going straw yellow or brown patches. Those kind of things can indicate some sunburn. Bear in mind also terrariums can suffer in this really hot weather. Imagine they are like a, a greenhouse within a greenhouse that is your house. So uh, it can get incredibly hot. And if you've got them in any shaft of light that might be coming through, more intense light than they're used to, 
the plants can start to get dangerously hot. So do think about moving terrariums too to cooler locations and just keeping an eye on what's going on inside. You might need to take the lid off a bit more or perhaps a bit less, but just make sure that they are not turning into a boiling cauldron that your plants won't appreciate. And certainly if you're using the lovely hummus pot technique for propagating cuttings. I had a contact from somebody recently who said, what's happening? All my hummus pot cuttings are just turning to mush. And I suspected that the listener had been putting these on a really sunny windowsill and the cuttings were just cooking. So make sure if you've got a propagation station, yes, it looks very nice on your windowsill, but think about moving it somewhere out of the sun because those cuttings will really struggle in this hot weather, particularly if they haven't got much of a root system established yet. The other thing to be aware of is that your plants may be thirstier than usual. Why is that? Well, when a plant is in hot temperatures, the light intensity and the light intensity is higher, then the rate of transpiration increases. That's the rate at which the plant is losing water through its leaves by the water evaporating through the stomata, the, the holes in the surface of the leaf. And it will be drawing up more water from the roots and pulling that through. And the higher the temperature and light intensity, then the more the plant will transpire. So it's going to need more water. How can you slow the rate of transpiration? Well, if the plant is surrounded by really humid air, then that will slow it down. So you can mist your plants more. If you move them outside, bear in mind that the extra wind will also cause transpiration to increase. So if you put your plants outside again, they might need more water. But just make sure there is enough water around those roots so the plant doesn't end up wilting, because that will be the end result. If your leaves are allowed to get into that situation where there just isn't enough water to supply the rate of transpiration that's happening. If you do come across any plants that have wilted, just first of all, make sure that it's not a question of overwatering as it can be when plants wilt. But if they're really dry around the roots, you need to take emergency act action, get them into the shade, stick the pot into a bucket or tray of water, run lots of water over the root ball because once that root ball gets super dry, it becomes hydrophobic. So it pushes away water and you'll need to defeat that by giving it a really good soak. Give that plant a good soak for an hour or two and it should recover provided it hasn't been let to go too far. So do check plants, even plants that you think, well, I only water them every few weeks. You will find that they will need more water at this time. And cacti and succulents, you know, if you've got cacti and succulents, you will find that they will drink a good amount during this time as well. My cacti and succulents right now, they're getting watered at least once a week. And especially if they're in a terracotta pot, which is evaporating moisture too. So don't ignore your cacti and succulents because they will need water too. If you've got the windows and doors open, bear in mind that's all lovely and nice, but it can mean that pests are coming in through the door. So if you've got plants that are moving in and out, they can get uh, some aphids attached to them. And I know this is a bad year for aphids here where I am. And you might find that plants that go outside or, or that plants that are brought in and out just end up getting a big infestation of aphids and other pests so do check them regularly and the places to check on the plant are the bits of new growth so the growing tips are where the aphids love to 
to go because that's the place where all the juicy juicy sap is available. So check your plants for pests when those windows and doors are open. And also bear in mind that if the plants are stressed because of, of the heat, it may mean that they are more attractive to pests because pests do know when plants are stressed and will respond by flocking to them. So keep your plants healthy and hopefully the pests will stay uh, at bay. And if you do put plants outside, it's really worth remembering that light intensity outside your house is way higher than it is inside. So if you've got plants that are quite happy on a sunny windowsill in your house, don't necessarily put them onto the hottest, sunniest windowsill outside the house or spot on your patio because that light intensity will be way greater and you might find they start to get sunburned. So generally when houseplants go outside, start them off in the shade. If they're okay there, you can gradually move them into more sun. And you may find that some plants really put on a big spurt of growth in these higher temperatures. Some plants that really come from tropical places where this is their absolute nirvana, they might really want to put on loads of growth. I'm thinking of your aroids and your cacti and succulents. And this is a moment to think about feeding because if those plants aren't getting enough food, they just won't be able to put the building blocks in place to make those new leaves. So when you're watering, do add some fertilizer. A weak dilution is always good. Do that every time you water, if you're watering say once a week, rather than, oh, I've suddenly remembered that I haven't fertilized in six months, so you give them a triple dose. It's much better to do the fertilizing every time you water, but make sure it's a really weak solution. It's also a really good time to get the mister out and give your plants a really good wash down. Leaves can look really dirty, particularly when they're highlighted by bright light and suddenly it's like when your windows, you suddenly realise your windows are really dirty when the sun shines through them. It's the same with plant leaves. Plants will really appreciate a damp cloth over those leaves or a mister and get rid of all the dust that's collected on there. And you know, it's a great time as well to check for spider mite on the undersides of those lovely calatheas that are so prone to suffering from that problem. Repotting when it's a heat wave, I would try to avoid root disturbance when it's unusually hot for your climate, just because the plant's probably coping with a change and throwing into the mix a repot where its roots are inevitably going to be a bit disturbed probably best avoided. If you've really got to do it and it's the only time you've got, then go for it. But if you can avoid it and leave it a few days till the temperature settled down again, it's probably advisable. And for those of you with air conditioning, this is a moment to think about how that might be affecting your plants. In the UK, air conditioning is not that common apart from in big buildings. So not something I have to worry about. Like I'm just looking at my thermometer in here in the office and it's 32.6 degrees. Delightful. So yeah, you need to think about AC. If you're whacking the AC up and it's very, very chilly in your place at the minute, that could be affecting plants in the opposite way. Cold drafts pouring onto plants that are used to higher temperatures and don't like those kind of cold drafts might also give them a bit of a setback. So think about your AC and perhaps ways that you can keep cool without whacking it up too high. After all, it's better for the environment if you don't do that too. Um, I am sitting here with my feet in a basin of cold water. This was a tip that we got years ago when we went to the Greek island of Kos and it was really hot. It was like 
the temperatures uh, it is here today in the UK, 30 centigrade or so. And I remember we were waiting, standing waiting early in the morning to go on a bus trip to a, a tourist, some kind of tourist attraction or another island, I can't remember. And there was a Greek lady and she had her, she was sitting outside in her little garden and she had her feet in a bucket of cold water and sort of through miming and rather than communicating in any uh, language based way, she managed to explain to us that this was great for cooling you down. I'm sure that somebody who knows about human biology would be able to explain this but it really does work if your feet are in cool water it really helps the rest of your body to stay cool as well so that's how I stay cool and the great thing is nobody on a zoom call can see that your feet are currently having a little cool spa experience so, so yeah there's a little tip for you if you're working and you don't want to put the ac too high for the sake of your plants well, I hope those tips are helpful. And now let's hear from our other sponsor this week. This week's On The Ledge is supported by Bite Away. If you're being plagued by insect bites right now, why not invest in a device that can calm the itching fast? Well, Jane, you might be saying, I have some cream that only cost me a fiver. So why would I invest in a Bite Away when that costs $26.99? Well, the trouble with creams is that they have a use-by date, whereas the bite-away can be used hundreds of times, and you'll only need to replace the batteries after around 300 uses. How does it work? Just press the bite-away onto the surface of the skin where you've been bitten, press the button, and a short spell of heat acts to stop the itching and start to bring down the swelling. I have to say, I was a bit skeptical, but it really worked fast for me. Bite-Away is dermatologically tested and compact enough to stick in your first aid kit when traveling or pop in your pocket when you're working in the garden or hiking. It's suitable for use by allergy sufferers and pregnant women, and you can use it on children safely too. Bite-Away is available from Amazon UK. Find out more at mybiteaway.co.uk. That's mybiteaway.co.uk. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now it's time for question of the week. And as you know, when a question that comes in is a little bit outside my knowledge subset, I have a host of experts to call on to help me out. And this week it's a question about Hoyer identification and I knew just the man. Doug Chamberlain, thank you for joining me back on On The Ledge your Hoyer episode is still an epic episode of the show, which people continue to listen to. So Hoyers are ever more popular. Um, and I've had a question come in from Jennifer, which I'm hoping that you can help me with because she's got a question about three species of Hoyer, none of which I grow. So perhaps you can enlighten us. Jennifer says, what's the difference between Hoya kentiana, shepherdii and waetii? I just can't figure it out. I'd like to label my plants and I don't know which name to give the two in question. This seems to be a really common problem with Hoyas, working out names that sometimes there's a lot of confusion. 
Can you, is there any enlightenment to be had on the subject of these three species? Well, this is a question that's come up a lot over the years. There was a big discussion on this I found online about uh, 11 years ago. And um, one of those plants, shepherd eye, really is a completely different animal. This is like, it's not even really closely related to Wayatii and Kentiana. It's in a different section of Boya, comes from a cooler location. It's endemic to India. It has a white flower with a red corona, and it's very fragrant. And the leaves on those are, um, they're darker green, and they're, they're longer than either Wayetii or Kentiana. They, they can be as big as 20 centimeters so they can get really long and, and they're narrow. And then if they don't get as wide at the midpoint. So that one is a little bit easier to identify. Yeah, early on when they're young, um, tiny little plants, there can be similarities. But if you really look at that one, it's growth habit. It tends to grow a little bit more zigzaggy. It, it's really different than Wayetii and Kentiana. Now, I'm going to say something that's uh, probably a little bit fun, controversial. But Wayetii and Kenyana are, are, are so similar, they may very well be the same species. Um, th there's two groups of botanists. There's the splitters and there's the lumpers. The splitters, um, like Dale Kloppenberg, who identified Wayetii, he never met a Hoya. He didn't want to make a new species. So <laughs> he's the one who named that species back in like 89 or 90. But it's so similar. It's, it's very difficult to tell the difference. Uh, he says that it, it, there's minute differences in the flower structure, that uh, Wayetii has like greenish pedicels and Kentiana have um, like pinkish um, pedicels and the, the corona on um, Wayetii has a little tiny appendage or stalk that raises it up slightly, but I can't see the difference. I think it's just a regional difference in where this thing was located, and Kentiana and Wayetii may very well be the same species. So as far as I, identifying it from a leaf, very, very tough. I, it, they're so similar, it's just... I don't think I could do it. It's interesting, isn't it? I've had the same issue with a Hoya that I have. Globulosa is one of the names it seems to have, but it also some people say that it's a different species from Villosa and that Villosa has wavy edges to the leaves and Globulosa doesn't. I don't. I keep reading contradictory <laughs> statements about those two as well. So it, it's obviously an issue that comes up. And as you say, possibly down to taxonomy and your preference as to whether something whether you're a splitter or a lumper <laughs> absolutely and i agree those two are are virtually identical and i i, I had one before it um it, i couldn't tell the difference i had globiosa but it might as well have been below uh it, 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 it's, it looks identical yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, as long as you can put some kind of identification so you kind of know which one's which, then even if they are different species, they're probably so similar as to need almost identical care. Therefore, you know, you don't have to worry too much unless you're the national collection holder or something. You know, you know, yeah. nobody's going to be testing you on this stuff. <laughs> the care is identical. They almost look identical. I've got a Kentiana right now. 
Um, I went out and looked at it this morning. I don't have Wayetii at the same time, but this one is called like AFF Kentiana, like Kentiana. I don't even know where the thing came from, but the the, the leaves are um, very pointed on the end. You can almost poke yourself. It's, it has a very sharp point. And from my recollections of Wayetii, it seemed to have a much gentler, more rounded tip on the end. That's the only thing I I can say could be a um, a characteristic that could help you ID it from from the leaves. But they're so darn similar. We were talking before this interview started about the massive increase in popularity in Hoyas. Even in the last few months, they seem to be going crazy. Just tell me about a couple of Hoyas that you're seeing big demand for that you uh, that previously were kind of, you know, not, not <laughs> people weren't weren't sort of knocking at your door for. Are there, are there particular species that people really are desirable right now? Well, there's a couple different ones. Um, Hoya manipurensis, which is this little bow tie shaped leaf, which makes it kind of interesting. Like three years ago. I had a hard time practically giving this plant away. There just wasn't a lot of interest. And I would I would sell them on eBay and I would struggle to get $35 or $40. And this year it's gone crazy for that particular plant. And I have sold a couple at $350 a piece. Wow. And there seems to be no end in sight. Just people have a strong demand for that. And then the uh, white flower, the all white flower, Hoya Bella, which has no red corona, seems to be very rare on this side of the of the pond. It might be more common in Europe, but over here, I can keep putting them out and selling them one after another at, at $200 a piece. That's, that's the kind of Hoya craze that's going on in the U.S. right now. It's so interesting, isn't it, that this this way that the social media and the internet is driving people towards certain plants. And uh, I'm kind of split between being delighted that Hoyas are, are getting the attention they deserve, but also worried that we're into a kind of stampede situation and that people are perhaps going out and buying lots of plants before they've really had a chance to get to know this genus and understand the care, its care requirements, which vary according to the species and aren't necessarily that straightforward. Um, and you worry that some of these very expensive rare plants are going to end up crispy and dead <laughs> or rotted and mushy and rotted. I couldn't agree more with you, Jane. I have that same fear that um, people are just spending these huge amounts of money with no real idea how difficult some of these are to care for. And, and some of these Hoyas, uh, you look at them sideways and you've killed them. It's just they are so delicate. They're not all that way, but there are a, there are a huge number that are that sensitive. So to be spending those kind of dollar amounts on a plant that could die on you that quickly, it's it's pretty scary stuff. I. I, and social media really has fueled this um, this demand, I think. And also the the having to stay at home from the coronavirus, I think it's made us all concentrate on on what's around us and, and the plants in our house. It's created more demand. Uh, so all of those things combined have just uh, sent Hoyas through the roof. And I feel bad for people just starting out wanting to get into the hobby because right now I don't think there's any kind of affordable way to 
do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I I always try to, you know, be generous with cuttings if somebody comes to my house and says, oh, that's a nice plant. If I, I, I kind of, I sort of check scope them out and see if I think they've got any skills, but I will give people cuttings of things if I've, if, if they're sort of mature enough. Um, but, and it's nice to see that get people, people get people started that way. But at the same time, as you say, um, if you're looking for something beyond a sort of Hoya Carnosa type plant, it's the prices are going up and up. So it's an interesting time for the Hoya community, but it'll be interesting to see how it, how it progresses and whether it really goes crazy the way that aroids have done and um, and what happens. I guess some of these plants are quite slow growing and possibly hard to propagate and they may remain quite rare. Yes, that's definitely the case. There are certain Hoyas that are, are so difficult both to propagate and to grow that they will always be, they will always be rare. But th- those are not Hoyas really that beginners are even uh, intermediate people should really strongly be seeking out unless they can find a bargain on them because they are so hard to keep alive. The one that I'm seeing on Instagram a lot is uh, Callistophila. I don't know how rare that is. It looks very beautiful, but I don't know how, how rare or how easy that is, but it seems to be all over Instagram. It has very pretty leaves, highly veined, and um, it's been around for years. Uh, I've had a a huge plant. Actually, it's my oldest Hoya. I got it probably about 13, 14 years ago from uh, Carol Noel in Hawaii. And um, it's ex- extremely slow grower unless you have incredible humidity and warmth. Then it can grow quite quickly. But just sitting on the windowsill in the house, you may very well think that it's not real, that it is plastic. It just, it won't grow for you. And mine currently, it grows about six weeks out of the year because that's the only time I can provide the conditions uh, warm and humid enough for it. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? That some of these hoyas do like a nice blast of heat to, uh, to to spring them into life. And you might be able to keep it alive, but it might not be growing that much. So, well, it's it's very hot here in the UK at the minute. So hopefully all my hoyas will be piling on some growth right now i'm sure they will it's very warm well thank you for joining me doug and for enlightening us on that question from jennifer and uh, long may your hoyas continue to <laughs> to thrive and bloom thank you so much jane and uh, i hope the same for your hoyas thanks to jennifer for her question i hope that helped And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop an email to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com and I will do my best to help. And before I go, I wanted to end the show on some fabulous good news from a listener. Ezra left the job that he was unhappy in about a month ago and has had applied for a job as a greenhouse technician, which was his dream job. Well, good news, Ezra passed the first interview and then he passed the second interview. This is his planty dream job plans achieved. Yep, he got the job. So there you go. If you've got a planty dream, go for it because if your heart and your brain are both into it, then success should come your way. Well done, Ezra. I'll see you all next week. Bye.
The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops and Endeavour by Jazar. The ad music was by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra with the tracks Whistling Rufus and Dill Pickles. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See the show notes at janeperone.com for details.